I'm Andrew Smith. This is Today in Church History, a place where we're reminded that history is truly his story. History is the story of God and the demonstration of his glory in the theater of world events. Today is Saturday, July 20th, 2019. But on this day in history, July 20th, 1969, astronaut Buzz Aldrin partook in a communion service by himself during the first moon landing. Aldrin was also an elder of Webster Presbyterian Church near Houston. He had obtained permission from the Presbyterian General Assembly to serve communion to himself during the first moon landing. He took a small chalice, bread, and wine. He arranged to synchronize the observance as nearly as possible with his home church. When the moment came, he spoke into the radio the following words, and I quote, Houston, this is Eagle. This is the LM pilot speaking. I would like to request a few moments of silence. I would like to invite each person listening in, wherever and whomever he may be, to contemplate for a moment the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his own individual way. Now, previously, NASA had forbidden a more explicit statement regarding Christ in communion because Madeleine Murray O'Hare had previously sued after Apollo 8 astronauts had read a portion of the book of Genesis, including their creation account. She argued that the reading of this scripture passage violated the separation of church and state. So it was during this radio silence that Aldrin took communion and he read from the scriptures. He read from John chapter 15 and verse 5, which says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me. What are we to think of Buzz Aldrin initiating a private communion service as he was in outer space? Well, we can't fault him for desiring to partake of the communion table. He was, after all, an elder in a Presbyterian church. However, this is where history is very important. What sort of precedent do we have for people taking communion by themselves? What sort of precedent do we have for individuals, that is, professing Christians, partaking in the Lord's Supper apart from a minister presiding over the service where the gospel is preached? Well, the most obvious document that I would like to turn to to answer these questions is the Westminster Confession of Faith, written in 1646, chapter 29 of the Lord's Supper. It says this in Article 1, Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, called the Lord's Supper, to be observed in his church. So here is a first clue. It is to be observed in his church. Now, this is obviously referring to the universal body of Christ, first and foremost, but implicit in this statement, observed in his church, is the public worship of God's people when they gather together. This comes out later in the confession itself. It goes on to say, And to the end of the world this is to be observed, for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death, the sealing all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. Now here is where we need to go back and we need to read the statement that Aldrin said when this moment of silence came up when he was getting ready to partake of communion. He said that he would like to request a few moments of silence and that he would like to invite each person listening in, wherever and whomever he may be, to contemplate for a moment the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his own individual way. Here we see Aldrin basically divorcing communion from its context. He is inviting every person, not just those connected to the universal body of Christ. He says wherever they are and whomever they are. Wherever is obviously 
sort of ironic, considering that he was literally in outer space. He was not in a public worship service, but he's calling on anyone who also was not in a public worship service to have this moment of silence and share this special moment with him. He also says, whomever you may be, that is Christian or not, and then he sort of describes this moment of silence as a moment of silence to be observed, as he says, and I quote, in his own individual way. What exactly was taking place here? Was Buzz Aldrin by himself partaking of communion? At least he had wine and he had bread. And we can assume that Buzz Aldrin, because he was a professing Christian and an elder at a Presbyterian church, had Christ on his mind in some sense. But what about all the other people who sort of and kind of participated with him, even though they weren't with him, and even though, assumingly, they did not drink the wine or eat the bread? Well, here in the Westminster Confession, it says that this is to be a perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself and his death. There is nothing here that says that this is some sort of remembrance feast of anything that we want to remember. It is a remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ and his death. That is exactly what it signifies. There is nothing vague about the Lord's Supper. There was nothing subjective about the night in which Jesus established the Lord's Supper. He did not do this in a private ceremony by himself. He did it with the other disciples. And here, the Westminster Confession is clear that it is to be observed in his church. It is to be a perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ in his death on the cross. It is furthermore to be a bond and a pledge of their communion with him and with each other's members of his mystical body. So the Lord's Supper, in a nutshell, is symbolic and it is an experience of the Christian's union with Jesus Christ. In order to experience the blessedness of this union in the Lord's Supper, one has to actually be united to Christ. In Article 2 of the Westminster, it goes on to say that this is a commemoration of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all, and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. Now, what about the individual partaking of this sacrament without a presiding minister? Is this an okay thing to do? Even people today sometimes partake of the Lord's Supper in their own family, in the privacy of their own home. Does Scripture support this sort of practice? Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith says on this chapter on the Lord's Supper, in Article 3, these words, and I quote, The Lord Jesus hath, in this ordinance, appointed his ministers to declare his word of institution to the people, to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby to set them apart from a common to an holy use, and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, and they, communicating also themselves, to give both to the communicants, but to none who are not then present in the congregation. So here we have, even at the end, and that's where we'll start, where it says that the communion is not to be given to any who are not present in the congregation, what I said earlier, and that is that the Lord's Supper is meant for God's people on the Lord's Day when they are assembled together in congregation. As a matter of fact, the Westminster is explicit here that it is not to be presented, it is not to even be offered to anyone who is not in the congregation at that moment when the Lord's Supper is being served. The reason for this is because of the corporate nature of the Lord's Supper. This is not an individual act. This is something the Christian is partaking in and with the universal body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is something that a Christian partakes in because of his union with Christ and because of the union that the Christian shares with other believers in Christ. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28 reads, and this is the King James Version, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. 
For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Here you have the language of they and them and many. This is simply not and was never meant to be an individual event. Now we need to ask the question, why does the Westminster require an appointed minister to preside over the partaking of the Lord's Supper? Well, the simple answer is answered in the confession itself when it says, and I quote, the appointed ministers are to be there to declare his word of institution to the people. This means that he is to explain what the emblems represent. That's something that Buzz Aldrin did not do. He wasn't even a minister, first of all. And second of all, he didn't explain that the body is represented by the bread and that the cup, that is the wine, represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is meaningless apart from a right preaching of the gospel. This is something that the reformers during the 16th century made very clear, because in the celebration of the Mass in Roman Catholic tradition, there was very little explanation as to exactly what was going on in the Lord's Supper. And even when there was explanation, it was in Latin, and most of the people did not know Latin. But the Westminster Confession is even more explicit about the unbiblical nature of celebrating the Lord's Supper privately. It goes on to say in Article 4 of the same chapter on the Lord's Supper, and I quote, Private masses, or receiving this sacrament by a priest or any other alone, as likewise the denial of the cup to the people, worshiping the elements, the lifting them up or carrying them about for adoration, and the reserving them for any pretended religious use, are all contrary to the nature of this sacrament and to the institution of Christ. It says here that private masses or receiving this sacrament by a priest or any other alone is contrary to the nature of the sacrament. In other words, it's contrary to the nature of the sacrament because the nature of the sacrament is that this is to be a sacrament celebrated corporately when God's people are together, those who are jointly in union with Christ, who is their covenantal head. In Matthew 15:9 we read, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. This is where we must be extremely careful. The Pharisees were guilty of practicing the traditions of man instead of what Scripture taught. There's a lesson in that for Christians today. We need to be very, very careful about what we think about regarding what exactly we do in worship. We have to be very, very careful, especially what we think about in regards to the sacraments, that is to baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, the Westminster Confession goes on to say, and I quote, The outward elements in this sacrament, duly set apart to the uses ordained by Christ, have such relation to him crucified, as that truly yet sacramentally only, they are sometimes called by the name of the things they represent, to wit, the body and blood of Christ. Albeit in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine, as they were before. Now, when we read further in Article 7 of the same chapter on the Lord's Supper in the Westminster Confession, we need to pay very careful attention to the wording. It says, and I quote, Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements, in crucified, and all benefits of his death, the body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally in with or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. End quote. Now that is sort of a wordy phrase, but basically what the Westminster divines are affirming here 
is there is a sense in which when Christians partake of the Lord's Supper, Christ is spiritually present with them. And I should say not just a sense in which he's spiritually present, he emphatically is spiritually present with his body in a mystical way, in a way that we cannot understand, in a way that is beyond us, in an otherworldly sort of way. We have fellowship and communion with Christ as we partake of the elements of the bread and the wine, assuming there is a minister there who is presiding over it, who has blessed the sacraments, who has prayed over it, and who has explained the gospel correctly before the partaking of the Lord's Supper. These elements themselves, though in our outward senses, are just bread and wine, and though literally they're still bread and wine because they don't change into the body and blood of Christ, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches in their doctrine of transubstantiation, nevertheless there is a sense in which Jesus is spiritually with his people. This is why Paul is so clear in 1 Corinthians 11.28 when he says, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. There is an unworthy way to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That is by not examining ourselves. That is by not repenting of our sins. That is by not being a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, Article 8 says this, and I quote, Although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in this sacrament, yet they receive not the things signified thereby, but by their unworthy coming thereunto, are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord to their own damnation. Wherefore, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table, and cannot, without great sin against Christ, while there remain such, partake of these holy mysteries, or be admitted thereunto. So the more that we read the Westminster Confession, the stronger their wording is in prohibiting anyone from partaking of the Lord's table if they are not a professing Christian, if they are not connected to a local assembly of God's people, if they are not present in the public worship of the local assembly of that congregation with an appointed minister presiding over the sacraments rightly explaining the gospel, blessing the sacraments, praying over the sacraments, and helping God's people, playing the part, really, of a priest in the Old Testament, and bringing God's people before the throne of God, before Christ himself, to spiritually have fellowship and communion with him as they remember his death, burial, and resurrection, and what it means for us. For us, it means the forgiveness of sins. When we, by faith, trust in Christ, that he died on the cross for sinners, that he was raised the third day, that he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. When we acknowledge that he was our substitute, that he died in our place, that he absorbed the wrath that we deserve from his holy Father in heaven, though he himself was holy, that he was spotless, blameless, and undefiled. When we by faith trust in Christ and repent of our sins, we receive salvation. We enter the family of God. We become jointly united with Christ and with other believers in the body of Christ. And we have the privilege, however often our church partakes of the Lord's Supper, to partake of it together, to remember his body and to remember his blood, and thereby remember the gospel and remember that his death saves us from our sins for all of eternity. History is truly his story. It's the story of God and the demonstration of his glory in the theater of world events. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Today in Church History. 
To access more episodes, you can go to Apple iTunes and search for Today in Church History. Remember that history is spelled H-I-S hyphen S-T-O-R-Y. You can also visit my website, www.heartaflame.org. There you'll find all the episodes of Today in Church History. You'll also find some sermons on there, as well as various articles written on various subjects in the area of theology. Until next time, I'm your host, Andrew Smith.